Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles, please, to uh, Psalm 86. We're continuing our study about the united heart, and uh, hopefully we'll get to it. But I want to discuss what is the most important part, if there is one, chronologically, to unite the heart. Where does it all begin? Uh, this is very important because just like some people, the most important thing about God is that God is love, and God is love, First John 4, 8. It's not the most important thing. Most important thing is that God is holy. So God will never compromise His holiness because of His love. We know that. And so a lot of people try to love God with their heart, and they start in the wrong place. They'll start with their mind. They'll start maybe with their feelings. Uh, but we want to look at where should it all begin. And so I'll just tell you now, it begins in the conscience. You have to know what is right and what is wrong. You have to understand and have an awareness of uh, good versus evil. And so if you're going to unite your heart, you have to, you have to get these things in the right uh, perspective, the right priority. So let's look at Psalm 86. We're going to start reading in verse 8. It says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things, thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I, uh, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart, there it is, to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless the study. Uh, lead us as to what to say and how to say it. We pray that you would do all the work. Thou wouldst open the eyes of our understanding. Give us uh, a burden and uh, a goal to have, have a united heart. Convict us to love thee with all that you have entrusted us with to walk in thy way, to fear thy name, to glorify thee and to praise thee with the united heart, all of our heart. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just give you a very quick review. David is under attack. The gods are against him. The gods of these heathen nations have come against Israel. And so David, a man after God's own heart, he has a pure motive. He does not want just victory to get out of his trouble like most people. He doesn't have jailhouse religion. Uh, and then when he gets some respite like Pharaoh, the conviction goes away or the troubles reside. He turns back to the old way. He wants to walk in the way of God. He wants to fear God's name. He wants to praise God give God what he deserves, all of his heart. So, very important, a man after God's own heart. So just a real quick review. 
The heart is multifaceted, uh, if you will. It's composed of different parts. That's why David had to pray, unite my heart, bring all the parts together. Um, and so our heart then can be divided against itself. This is interesting. Our heart can fight against itself. It can have divided loyalties. It could be thinking one thing, loving something else. It could be having a motive here, but uh, thinking about something else. It, it can be torn apart. So it can have divided loyalties against itself, and it can be, have a selfish uh, purpose against other parts of the heart. We've all gone through this, if you think about it. So our heart then must be united. And so this is something we ought to pray about. I mean, if David had to pray this, how much more do I? If David had to pray this, how much more uh, do you? So we just mentioned a couple of uh, illustrations. We can understand uh, division in a family, maybe a marriage, not getting along like they're supposed to. Uh, brothers and sisters in a house or cousins not really getting along. Maybe a, a team in athletic sports uh, that is divided. Maybe in a business. Uh, even in a church, it happens a lot uh, with cliques in a church. But what we want to realize is, just like we can more understand those types of il illustration, what about our own heart divided against itself? So if we are not in unity with ourselves, how can we be at unity with other people? Think about the splinterings, the division. And a lot of people have divided loyalty, and some of us need to get back to loyalty. Go to the beginning of the loyalty. Don't, don't get these little things pulling at you from different sides, thinking one thing, feeling something else. You need to have a Bible verse to base your life upon. Uh, so our thoughts, our emotions, our fantasies, our imagination, our motives, um, all these different aspects of our life need to be united or if you don't watch out, you can segment your life. And, and I've seen people do this. They'll have a job life. Then they'll have a marriage life. Then they'll have a parent life. Then they'll have a hobby life. It doesn't work in that aspect. It also doesn't work if all of us are not united individually to serve God. So our goal ought to be like David. I want a whole heart to love God. With love, remember when they asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. So we looked at the first three, and this is just an overview. Exodus 35, 22, they were willing-hearted, their will. They wanted to serve God. The commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the thoughts of the heart and the intents of the heart. So here we have the mind, our imagination, our rational, logical thoughts, 
and then also our motives, why we do what we do. It's not enough to do the right thing. You want to do the right thing for the right reason. So next, number four, is our conscience. And we're going to turn to this later, Lord willing. But Hebrews 10.32 uh, says that the, our hearts, when we get saved, are sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's a very important verse, life-changing verse. When the blood gets applied, your heart, the conscience of your heart, gets cleansed, and something happens where we turn from dead works to serve the living and the true God. So the conscience is what we know with. That's what the word means, to know. If you are a living soul, you have this ability to know, right? So you're supposed to not only be aware of your surroundings, be aware of yourself, and then know what is right from wrong. Put a difference between that which is clean, that which is unclean. The next is emotions. Colossians 3, uh, 22, in singleness of heart, fearing God. Fearing God. So, and there's many other places, uh, like we talked about in Matthew. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. So we ought to have this singleness in fearing, and fear is an emotion. Uh, you ought to have your anger right. Know when to get mad, when not to get mad. Who to get mad at, for how long, for what reason. Don't let anger control you, or your heart will be divided against itself. Fear God. Be afraid of Him. We ought to all be able to say, I'm not afraid of anybody or anything except the Lord. He is the one I fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, wisdom and knowledge. So this emotional part, this is what most people limit the heart to. They call it the seed of affections. And it is the center of our life. But it's more than that. Our heart has to be united. All right, number six. In Psalm 10.3, the Bible simply makes the statement, Our hearts desire. So the next part of your heart that has to be united is your desires or your appetites, the things you want out of life, the things you crave in a life. Uh, what do you live for? What do you think about the most? What do you spend your money on? What do you, where do you um, spend your energy? What Where is the main focus? What do you desire? What do you want out of life? So... It's, it's very important to, to understand if God is not what we want the most, we want something more than Him, then how are we going to think about Him and feel for Him and desire Him? How are we going to have a pure motive of doing what we do just for Him? How will we be willing-hearted? How are we going to set our mind and have our eye single if we don't have the right desires. And a lot of us need a check. You know, it's very important. There's nothing wrong with this. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You know, just go through this list. Am I willing-hearted? What do I think about the most? Why do I do what I do? What is my motive? 
Am I aware, am I under conviction of sin and what is right and wrong? What do I feel? What, what is the main feeling that controls your life? Uh, you know, and a lot of people would say different emotions, right? Uh, for me, it's mostly sadness. Uh, not because of what's happened recently. It just kind of something's always coming in. But uh, you have to fight these things or balance it out. And so lastly, as we've been quoting the verse, is our affections, the things we love. So in Matthew 22, it talks about uh, love, the Lord thy God. Who do you love? What do you love? Um, you know, we use this illustration. If, if you were getting engaged and uh, you were proposing and you just ask your uh, fiancé-to-be, hopefully, uh, will you marry me? And then you said something like, you know, I... I love you, but I really don't want to. And I date you, but I really don't want to. I do it because I have to. And, uh, you know, I think about you some of the time, every once in a while. Uh, you know when you're in puppy love and you, you just can't get enough and you go on a date and then you have to call them right when you get home? Boy, that's mushy, isn't it? And then you call and it's like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. All right, I'm hanging up. But, uh, you know, in the, in the very beginning, um, and then you're aware. How can you love somebody you don't even know they're there? You know, the old cartoon where the man comes home from work, puts on his house shoes, props up his lazy boy, sticks the newspaper in his face, doesn't even know his wife or children are in the same house until she calls him to, to eat. Um, how can we love God if we're not aware? But how can we love God if we don't know what sin is? Because He is a holy God who hates sin. So how can you love, you know, and then you say, well, you know, honey, will you marry me? I'll love you some of the time with, with a little bit of my feeling. That wouldn't go over very well. And I really desire to speak. You know, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You know, what if you proposed, said, you know, I would like to spend maybe a little bit of my time with you. I don't think it would go over very well. So when we look at what David, um, a man after God's own heart, more verses that emphasize this. Psalm 111.1, I will praise thee with my whole heart. All of it. Psalm 119.10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. You know why people don't find God? They're, they're seeking Him with some of their heart, a little bit, some of the time, not willing-hearted. They're not studying with their mind. Very impure motives most of the time, selfish, what they can get out of it. Uh, they don't feel anything. They're like a bump on a log or sucking on a sour dill pickle. They're not feeling much except self-pity and uh, bitterness for a lot of people. So David knew, I have to be true to my God, unite my heart. I will walk in thy way. I will fear thy name. I will praise thee with my whole heart. 
So let's look at a, a verse here in, in Hebrews chapter 10. This is very, very important as it pertains uh, to this truth. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look at verse 22. Now, if you ask yourself, if you, and we often have, why did this person not get it? Why, you know, whatever you want to go. Why did this person not follow through with Christ? Why did this person say they believe on Christ, but their life didn't change? Why do they claim to be saved, but they're not a new creature in Christ? What is the reason? Well, this is the main reason. Uh, technically, look at Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. There it is. You see what kind of heart? True heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this is talking about tribulation church doctrinally, but spiritually as we see the day approaching. And, and there's, a, there's only one way out of this thing. You either got to die or we need to get raptured. We ought to all be praying for the rapture. Even so come Lord Jesus. So as we see the day approaching, we are to provoke one another unto love and to good work. We ought to all, that's why we're here tonight. Let's go out and serve God. You can know God. You can read your Bible. You can yield to the Holy Spirit. Serve God. Be true to Him. That's why we're here. Work for the night is coming, right? Stand up for Jesus. We ought to all be encouraging one another. We can do this. So one of the things that has to happen, though, the conscience is what? The soul that we know with. What do we know? How much do we know? Who do we know, right? What is right and wrong? You know, the average person, if you told them right now, there's a place in the center of this earth called hell, and people have been burning there for a long time, and they're only going to get out when hell and death, and they are resurrected and face Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and death and hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire. They don't know that. They never taught it. They never read it. They've never been under Bible teaching or preaching. If you told the average person there is a sea of glass above what we call outer space, the deep, and there's a great red dragon that has seven heads lives in that thing, and he's trying to do everything he can to keep you from getting to heaven, and I know to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, right? Amen. To be saved. What, what is that old saying, the old old timers used to say may you be in heaven before the devil knows you're dead remember they used to say that because they actually thought that even when somebody died there'd be a, a fight over the soul uh, and they'd try to keep it from getting to heaven now praise the lord we know that jacob's ladder the angels are ascending and descending and the bible teaches us that the angel of god 
carries our soul to heaven, and we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And what is that way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the ladder. Remember when Jesus said, you're going to see the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man? He is the ladder. So, have you ever thought about, uh, and I, I like history, and I like Southwestern history, I like Plains Indian history, the Alamo, things like that. But when you go to these uh, ancient sites, you always see, or quite often, a spiral. It's very popular in Native American culture, and it's everywhere. And a lot of people, well, what is that? What does that mean? Well, they brought in these Hopi and Navajo uh, shamans and uh, historians who knew the old ways from their, you know, way back and the old stories. And they said, those are portals. This is a portal between another dimension. And you'll often see a serpent coming out of the portal where the gods fell, the, the wicked uh, fallen angels. They came down through a portal and just appear. That's why things can just like that, and then they're gone. Poof, what happened? Uh, it's these portals. Well, Jesus is the ladder to heaven. And if any man try to get in any other way, what is he? A thief and a robber. He's the way. Now, if you try to tell these people these things, they'd have no idea what you're talking about. You know why? Because they don't have the consciousness to understand it. Now, what has to happen when you truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? With a what? Pure heart. A true heart. Not a deceitful heart. Not a selfish heart. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means, I, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you do that, the blood is applied. Jesus Christ takes the blood which He shed on Calvary, and He applies it. And what does it say? The conscience, not only are we cleansed from sin, past, present, future, praise the Lord, but our conscience is sprinkled with the blood from an evil conscience. And then it says, we are turned from that to do good works. So, it's very obvious. If they had a true heart, there'd be a life change. You'd know what's right from wrong. You know, how many people, well, I know that's wrong. Well, why do you keep doing it? Why is it the way you live? I'm not saying you'll be perfect, but you will repent in your heart, turn from it to God. They turn to God from idols. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, I believe it is. doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you have a contrition and a brokenness for your sin, and the blood is applied. Don't ever be ashamed of all these songs we sing about the blood. It's still the blood. It always has been. It's still the blood. Why? The blood not only cleanses us, it changes our consciousness. And what is that? What you know. Who you know. Who do you know? Jesus Christ. That's why 
we're to pray that we would grow in grace and in the what? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's look back, if you will, to chapter 9 of Hebrews. And I really love these verses. Jesus Christ is our high priest, offering Himself as a sacrifice for sin. Look, let's start in verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, Amen. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling, there's that word sprinkle, uh, the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of his, the flesh. How much more, look at this, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot, sinless to God. But what does it do? Read it, verse 14. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the re uh, redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, give you a couple of illustrations. Sigmund Freud, the evil, wicked psychiatrist. Wasn't he a psychiatrist? I don't want to call him what. I know he wasn't good. But this, this is what he said. He was an atheist. Now, look, look what he said. Bible standards and morality are too high. They conflict with natural desires. Therefore, there cannot be a God. That's how wicked he was. Restrictions, standards, law produces what? Guilt, conviction. And when the Holy Spirit pricks or convicts, you're smitten you're to be broken and contrite, admit what you've done, admit what you are, and turn from it. You remember that, uh, remember, have you ever heard of the famous or infamous French atheist named Voltaire? Might have probably heard his name. He decided there was no God and he would live like an atheist. And you know what his famous statement was? He lived by it and quoted it all the time. Forgiveness is God's job. In other words, if there is a God, I can do whatever I want. If He's a God, it's His job to forgive. I can do whatever I want. There's no right, no wrong. And so when you boil all this down, what's the root problem? In His conscience, which tells us right from wrong, He couldn't handle the fact He's a sinner. And He was going to go to hell and Jesus Christ died for his sin, and he didn't want to turn from his sin. 
You know the famous atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, and I always think this is strange, they found her body at Campwood, Texas. Of all the places in the planet Earth, the most famous atheist in America, I think, that ever lived, they found her body in Campwood, Texas. Wild. Her son, I heard this story, I think it's true, don't hold me to it, but it's a good illustration. But uh, he got saved and became a preacher. And he told the story. The reason his mom became an atheist is she was in adultery and didn't want to admit it. And so she was ashamed of being adulterous. And so rather than confess that and turn from it and serve God, she just said, I'll just say there is no God, so I'm not guilty. So I can get married a million times, or, well, if you had enough, or a hundred times. There's no such thing as sin. And so she tried to justify it with her atheism. That's what, you know, a Gnostic, I, someday I ought to teach what Gnostics believe. It's absolute witchcraft. Uh, just look it up. Then you have agnostics, which they haven't decided anything quite yet. They, they just want to uh, be in limbo or be neutral. So listen to these verses. Acts 2.37. Boy, I love it. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Where were they pricked? In their heart. What pricks? The conscience. You are guilty. You know what that does? Produces an emotion of shame and guilt. Acts 7.54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You know what they ended up doing? Stoning Stephen. They were cut. They were so ripped under such conviction. They were so guilty. They said, let's just get away, do away with this preacher, deacon, uh, Stephen. Acts 8, 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. I love that. Christ is just preaching the truth. They can't handle it. They're, remember when Jesus said, which of you convicteth me of sin? One of the greatest. Who, who can convict the Holy Son of God, the sinless? He that's without sin cast the first son. If this woman is an adulteress, where's all the men who are with her? How come you only brought the woman? Bunch of hypocrites. And he stood down and started writing something. I think he was writing in the law and they couldn't handle it. He wrote a verse, but when they heard this, you know when you have a mob and it's like the mob rules and there's a rush for the door? He didn't say that. They were so smitten, they just went out one by one. Couldn't handle the truth. John 16, 8. He will, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He will reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you're going to get reproved. Uh, as iron sharpeneth iron. Now, I love what it says in Acts 14.1. They so spake that many believed. didn't say they just said it. It was what they said but how they said it, with the spirit of what they said, and when they said it, 
people got under conviction. So, so often in this new modern apostasy, people don't want to get under conviction. They don't want to feel guilty. They don't want to be ashamed. They don't want sin. You know, they're trying to make sin a hate word. It's so weird. Sin is a hate crime. Um, because why? It's not hate. God's trying to get them saved. So you can't get saved unless you know you're lost, right? So the conscience has to reveal to you you're lost, you're a guilty sinner, so then you can believe on Christ and you can get saved. And what, what happens? The blood applied. The blood applied. And it's still the blood. You know, when, when I don't remember what decade it was, but these so-called self-styled theologian came up with this uh, phrase, the slaughterhouse religion. We need to do away with this. We don't need the blood. You know, yes, you do need the blood. Uh, it, without the blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood. So we're, we're going to conclude, but think about, for tonight, a united heart. What's the first thing that's going to unite the heart? Is it your feelings? No. Is it your desires? No. Is it your will? No. That's why most people don't get saved. I will do this. I will not do that. That's a type of works. Is it their fantasy? No. Is it their motive? Because, you know, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. No. It starts with the conscience. You have to know you are guilty. I love that verse. Let all the world become guilty before God. Let God be true, but every man a liar. This is what they don't want. This is why they explain it away. This is why they procrastinate. They put it off. They justify with all these different tactics which will never work. Praise the Lord. David, a man after God's own heart, he said, teach me thy way. I will walk in it. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. This ought to be our burden and our goal. But where's it going to begin? Conviction. The old preachers used to say, no conviction, no conversion. No, and it, repentance and faith are two sides, they say, of the same coin. You cannot truly have faith unless you have repentance. You cannot have repentance unless you have faith. It's not work salvation. It's a move of God. In, it says He grants them repentance and faith. I, I was reading in Acts, Paul's preaching, he said, and it says, when they opposed themselves, they didn't want to hear it. He said, I'm washing my hands. I'm going to the Gentiles. Uh, in Timothy, it says, peradventure, God will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. It's a gift. How? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So, you know. Who would think, you know, I'm very thankful that I feel guilty. <laughs> so just to conclude, the only reason to feel guilty is to admit it, confess it, 
turn from it, get it under the blood, and have a clean conscience, right? You don't want to live in a guilt trip, but most people, they don't understand the blessing of the conscience to know with. All right, let's stand.